If you've been a Christian for a long time, there is a trap in being a Christian for a long time, which is this. We begin to take a lot of things for granted. We begin to get used to hearing about God or, or maybe you've, you've read the Bible before or you've read a lot of parts of it. And it just kind of becomes this, this placeholder on the dashboard of your car or on the coffee table in your house or in your mind. Or it's just an app on your phone that got pushed to the back of the list of apps and you, you, you open it every now and then. Um, and it's not like a book that you actually look to as, as a part of your life. Not just your physical life, I'm talking about your spiritual life. A book that is the word of God, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that it's actually the authority of God, you know, written down on paper for us to read and to learn about who God is and how he wants us to live. And so this series is kind of to spur some interest in that and also to help you practically study the Bible. You know, uh, sometimes whenever you look at a big book, I don't know, you know, how many of you are like big readers, but if you're not a big reader and you pick up a big book, it's, you just want to put it down as quickly as possible because it's intimidating. It's like, oh, gosh, just give me the cliff notes, right? Well, uh, you know, in one sense, I think of Sunday morning sort of like cliff notes, if you will. It's like, man, we, we, we kind of take some big concepts. We communicate some big thoughts. But as far as like, like kind of going to that next level of you absorbing things into your own heart and your own life, did you know that that happens on your own? Think about if you're studying for a test. Okay, you're in school, you're sitting there, you're listening to the teacher talk, and, and they're giving you all this information, you're writing it down. I mean, it's just like a you know, fire extinguisher just in the face. But if you don't go home and you don't study, guess how, guess how you're going to do on the test? You're probably going to fail. You're probably not going to do very well because it's, it's about studying that actually kind of absorbs it into your life. And so I believe in the teaching of the word. I believe in gathering together like we're doing right now. But I also believe that we've got to have our own personal uh, rhythm, pattern in life. And so this series is to kind of kickstart that in some of our lives. Um, so 2 Timothy is kind of the key scripture we've been using. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, what we've also been doing is uh, highlighting three questions that if you read the word of God and you ask these three questions while you're reading the word uh, it sort of like puts a lens, a filter over your, your eyes, and, and you're, you're looking for something. You're not just ambiguously reading scripture, just like, okay, you know, is, I'm in Ezekiel. What in the world am I reading right now, you know? But if you have these three questions you're asking while you're reading the word, uh, it, you begin to pull out different things from the scripture. And the three questions are very simple, but they're very uh, useful. One, it, the number, the one, one question is, uh, what do I learn about God? If the, if the scripture says anything about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord, God, you know, Jesus, Christ, anything like that, then it's, it's like, what is this scripture actually teaching me about who God is or what he desires for me? The second question is, what do I learn about people? What do I learn about others, but what do I learn about myself? If I'm reading the scripture and it talks about a person, a people group, um, an emotion, I don't know, you know, wh why do people think and feel the way that they think, and why do I think and feel the way that I think? That's another filter that you have on as you read. The, uh, the third one is, what does God want me to do? Uh, and and kind of some supporting questions underneath that question of what does God want me to do is like, is there a, a command to obey in these scriptures? Is there a, a sin to avoid? 
right? And, and, and as we read scripture, if we have these filters in front of us, we're, again, we're not just kind of drudging through scriptures. We're, we're seeking, right? We're, we're looking, and we're looking for something that can, uh, we can pull out and apply to our lives. So uh, we're going to be in the book of James today. And this is the last week of this, uh, of this um, series. And we're in the book of James. And what we've been doing, every time that we get into a new book, we, we kind of want to look at a summary of what the book is about. Kind of give us, again, some ideas of, of who the writer is, who they're writing to. Come on, y'all, listen. If you're reading something in the Word and you don't know who wrote it and who they wrote it to, did you know that you could read it wrong? Right? You could like even insert yourself into those scriptures or, or insert 2022 into like, I don't know, 600 B.C. or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And those two things don't really go together. We've got to understand who's the writer, who are they writing to, why are they saying the things that they're saying in order for us to have a better understanding of what the scripture says. So quickly, uh, this is a summary of the book of James. This is a letter that was written by James, the brother of Jesus and leader of the Jerusalem church. It was written about 80, 40 through 45. And uh, James, the brother of Jesus, he's martyred about 20 years after writing this letter. And this letter was likely written to predominantly Jewish Christians, which is important to realize that he's writing to predominantly Jewish Christians, all right? And, uh, and, and, and their house churches outside of Palestine, based on its mention of the 12 tribes in the dispersion, which happened in uh, 70 AD, whenever Rome took over and uh, the Jews were dispersed everywhere. Um, it is distinctly Jewish content, I'm sorry, it is distinctly Jewish content, and it's focused on persecution and poverty. This would mean it was sent throughout most of the ancient Mediterranean world, and it includes a lot of instruction to believers, a whole lot of instructions. Out of 108 verses, there's 59 commands. So this is one of those books, it's sort of like Proverbs, you can read it, and almost every verse has something in it that just hits you in the chest. And you're like, okay, this is something that I need to really look at. It's not very, it's not like a story or anything like that. It's just a lot of commands. So James is hitting us in the, in the, in the face today. So we're going to read James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, and then we're going to skip to verse 12 through 15 uh, for our discussion today. It says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. All right, before I kind of jump into explaining some of this and talk with you, I want to pray. Because there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about today that we need God to really uh, soften our hearts about. Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you for your presence here with us. God, we believe that you're here. We believe that you're with us, and God, we believe that today as we study these scriptures, God, as we talk about trials and temptations, God, I pray that you would help us to understand your heart. 
that you'd help us to receive, God, that we would not be caught up in our own thinking, that we would not elevate our thoughts above yours, but, God, that we would surrender our hearts to you, uh, whether we've known you for a long time or whether today we're here and we're just kind of uh, maybe confused or even just seeking out something uh, of value more than what we have right now. God, I pray that we would all understand you more. Teach us. Draw us closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So these scriptures are... uh, Scriptures that many of us have heard over and over. And again, if you've been in church any amount of time, you've probably heard a sermon on these. And there's different angles, different approaches you could take to these. But at the same time, these are some hard scriptures because it talks about trials. And I don't know about you, but I don't really like trials. You know, I don't like trials, they're not fun. And, uh, and, and so some of these scriptures don't really speak to that part of me because uh, whenever we ask the question, again, what do I learn about God, we learn first off that God blesses those who persevere in trials and promises to crown them with life. Now, whenever I, I, I learn that God blesses those who persevere in trials, what I don't see is that God always removes us from trials. <laughs> Right? You you with me? It's like, that's what I'm not reading there, which is not what I want to read. I want to read, God removes every person who loves him from anything bad happening in life. But that's not what we read. We read that he blesses those who persevere in trials. Persevere in trials. And so when we talk about blessed, obviously we think happy. A lot of people, that's what they think. They think happy, happy. I'm, I'm, you know, man, I'm just really excited. I mean, I'm so blessed right now. You know, the thing is, we, we, usually don't say we're super blessed whenever we're in a really low point of life. I mean, honestly, how you doing, man? It's really bad right now. It's really bad. The enemy's really this and that. Man, how's it going? Dude, things are great, right? I'm really blessed. This combines those two things. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, right? Who, who, who perseveres in trial. So, So what's the promise, though, that God is promising? He's promising the crown of life, which is eternal life. He did not promise a a blessing necessarily for here and now. The the picture that's given to us is that blessed is the one who perseveres in trial because you're going to be crowned with the promise of eternal life. So James just skips over. Everything happening in this. Why did he do that? Because he's talking to a bunch of people who are going through it, y'all. So imagine talking to somebody whose their, their life is falling apart, right? Everything's just, I mean, everything's hitting the fan. And you walk up and you're just like, man, there's a blessing right on the other side of this trial. You know, the reality is that there wasn't. Some people were going to die. Some people were going to be martyred, James, one of them. There was massive persecution going on. There wasn't really much of a a silver lining, if you will, in what was going on in that time. The silver lining was that God has promised the crown of life after we're done with all this. (laughs) He was pointing them to eternity. And and right there for me, man, I I don't know, it, it challenges me to lift my eyes up out of this world. And this is a, this is a, a, a topic or a, or a thought that we will all struggle to embrace in our lives. Because what happens is 
we, we, we understand this in one season of life. Maybe we're in trial we, we, and we kind of, we grasp that. But then we go through a season maybe of, of plenty or prosperity and we lose sight of holding on to that promise. And we begin to hold on to some other promises. And some of those promises are not God's promises. They're kind of like our own. They're kind of our own thing. And, and so this isn't something that you just overcome once. This is something that we must uh, re- remain in. This is why it's important to read the word. But so, uh, so God blesses those who persevere in trials. The next thing we learn is that God does not tempt anyone. Verse 13, God tempts no one. Now, for some of you, you, you need to hear this today. Because I, I don't know, have you all ever heard anybody say, man, God's really been tempting me lately? God doesn't tempt you. Now, a picture of temptation is this. Temptation is a, it's the picture of a, uh, like a trap that's been set for like a wild animal, right? And what happens? There's a cage or there's something and there's a rope or I don't know, there's some sort of trigger, right? And, and they put like meat or whatever it is into that cage and that animal sees it and goes after it and then it springs on him, right? That's what, that's the picture of a temptation. God does not set a trap for you to fall into, so what do we learn about God? Well, I can know that God is not there like, you know, like fishing, like with a lure trying to get me to hang up, right? That's not the heart of God. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, belaboring this because whenever we read scripture, we're learning who God is. And you've got to understand uh, a moment like this shapes the way that you see God in your life. It shapes the way that you see God because some people see God playing chess, like some sort of, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those old movies or whatever. It's like Greek gods and like they're like playing chess with humans, you know what I'm saying? Like, and they're up there. People view God like that, and that's not who God is. He's not dangling a morsel of sin in front of you trying to get you to mess up. That's not his heart. We're going to learn here in a second what temptation is, where it comes from. But, but I want to encourage you, some, of, some of you with this. Temptation also is in itself not a sin. If you're being tempted in things, I don't want you to, to, to live in condemnation that, man, I've really been tempted. Or maybe, maybe you fell into some sin in life and now you're kind of, you're, you're on the other end of that still dealing with those temptations. The temptation itself is not the sin. Temptation is part of life. Okay, so um, if you're looking for temptation to be removed out of your life, like, permanently, that ain't going to happen. I was praying for a guy a few years ago, and, and he was praying that. He said, man, I just really want to ask God to remove the desire for this. And I was like, well, that's kind of not going to happen. You're dealing with temptation, and you're always going to deal with temptation. You're going to have to fight that, right? And, and so, anyway... We learn that, that God blesses those who persevere, but we also learn that God tempts no one. He's not the source of temptation. Now, uh, this kind of leads to the next question, which is what do I learn about people? Whenever we talk about temptation and trials, this is what we learn. We learn that people respond differently to trials and temptation. We respond differently for a lot of different reasons. Have you ever walked through something in your life and, you know, you... Let's say that it really just knocked you off your feet, man. It, it took you out. Or let's say that you really just killed it. Like it, it was like a bump in the road, but you kept going. And then somebody that you're close to goes through the same thing. And like however you went through it, they go through it completely opposite, right? Why? People respond differently. Some people, I mean, they get married and it's just easy. 
like their marriage is just, they got an easy marriage, man. They don't ever fight. They don't ever, whatever. And then they have a kid and it's just like, man, they just have a kid and keep rolling. Other people, they get married and like, you know, they just want to claw each other's eyes out, you know? That's my story. Me and Nadine got married, and the first year was really bad. It, I'm, I got buddies who they get married. They're like, oh, my gosh, it's so wonderful. And I'm like, dude, we don't want to be in the same room together right now. We've only been married for three months. What's going on, man? It was just different, you know. But we had our first kid, and, and it, it was good. But other people, they had the first kid, and it threw their marriage off, right? I'm just saying we go through things differently, and so people respond differently to trials in life, and people respond differently to temptations, all right. Now, one thing I want to bring some light to is this, is that the Bible is very clear that it's not if we face trials and temptations, it's when. Okay, so if your mindset is like trying to dodge trials and temptations at all costs and, and thinking that if you go through something, something must be wrong with you or with God, I want to let you know that you are not understanding and, and are not seeing clearly what the word of God is, is very clear about. Peter and Paul and Jesus, they were all very clear about that we're going to go through hard times. It's, it's part of life. So it's not if we go through trials or if we are tempted. It's when these things come. And it's that we have a choice of how we'll respond. Now, what we do in life is we try to minimize pain and maximize comfort, right? I think for a lot of us, that is the point of our life. How can I minimize pain and discomfort in my life? And how can I maximize, uh, you know, fun? You know, how can I maximize comfort? How can I minimize pain? But that's really not the point of life. Am I right? But it does become the point of life, especially in America, especially the way that, the way that we see the world. Uh, it, it's, it's, that is one of, the, be that's one of the, the best things, right, the greatest things. Our whole life is built around what age we're retiring and what we're going to do after we're, re we're retired. And, and like, like, so we, we choose a career to make a certain amount of money to live a certain type of lifestyle in order to retire at a certain age so we can experience a lot of comfort and, and, and entertainment and whatever until we, like, what, blissfully die? You know what I'm saying? Like, at an old age and not feeling any pain? You see what I'm Like, this, that is, for a lot of people, I just explain life. They're like, man, that sounds, actually, that sounds great. <laughs> no, life is more than that. And God has been, is very straightforward that, that life is more than that. But we get caught up in our culture, right? It's just washing over us, and it becomes the main thing. But we're going to face trials. We're going to face temptations. Now, some trials are, some people say they're going through a trial, and they mean one thing. And, and I, 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 there's a spectrum to trials. Okay, there's a trial whenever we lose a job, and that's, that's tough, you know, and it could throw a lot of things off. But, but there's also, like, the extreme trials whenever we lose somebody that we love, right? Our, our marriage just falls apart, our whatever, worst-case scenario happens. And so there's, there's some things that there are, they are trials, and I'm not trying to belittle those things whenever we walk through them. But, you know, you get a new job. Or you get a, your car broke down, you get a new car, or you, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's, it's a struggle. I'm not belittling it, but at the same time, you guys know what I'm saying. There's other trials that you don't ever necessarily get over. Somebody, a, a family friend of ours, they, they lost their uh, spouse this week, tragically out of nowhere. 
their life is forever changed. That's a trial that doesn't have an end to it, right? It, and it's different than, again, if the job didn't work out. There's another one. There's, there's, there's something else. There's hope. Here, there doesn't seem to be a lot of hope, you know? It's like you, you walk the rest of your life with that, that void. And, and so we, in this room right now, if we could just take the mic and just begin to pass it and say what's the, the most intense trial that you've ever been through in your life, it would be a large spectrum. And so I, I can't obviously teach about every single one of those, but you have to kind of take these concepts and, and allow the Holy Spirit to sort of uh, apply it to whatever it is that you're going through. Because these principles, they still do apply. So we go through trials, and, and then we go through temptations. Uh, you'll be tempted, but in the same way that we try to avoid trials, uh, we also try to avoid temptation, but what I see most of the time is, is that we actually try to avoid the responsibility for giving in to temptation, and, uh, and you'll see what I mean by this in a second. Verse 14 says this, but each person is tempted whenever Satan comes down to them and specifically attacks them in their soul and tempts them directly and tries to take them out by name. No, um, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Where does temptation come from? From the things that you desire yourself, that you want to do straight up. So if I'm being tempted, first off, I don't blame God because he doesn't tempt me. But also, number two, I, I can't just offload the responsibility of the temptation or the giving into that temptation to the almighty Satan. I say that sarcastically, okay? But some people treat Satan like that, right? He's like he's, like, he's all powerful, almighty. He's not. And the temptations that we face, y'all, sometimes it's just straight up us. It's the sin nature inside of us. And those traps are laid all over the place. And as we go through life, our heads turn towards those things that we desire. And it's different for everybody. The things that you're tempted with are not the things that I'm tempted with. But we are all tempted to something. For some, it's very public and people can see the, you know, like let's say that somebody's tempted in something and they, and they give into it. And it's something that's very public and everybody sees it. You know what I'm saying? And everybody judges it. There's those types of temptations that give way to sin. But then there's also those, those subtle ones that nobody ever sees or knows about. You know what I'm talking about? The things that most Christians deal with because they've learned how to just like walk just right and act just right in certain settings. And so, so everybody thinks they're doing good, but, but deep down inside they're not doing good. It just, some things people see, some, people, some things people don't. But we face temptation but it's our own desire. It's us being pulled away from our own desire. And James explains what happens whenever people give in to that desire. Verse 15, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. Again, the desire and the temptation itself is not necessarily the, the act of sin. But it's, it's whenever there is a, a giving into that sin, into that temptation, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
Entertaining temptation gives opportunity for sin to be birthed, which can lead to death. Entertaining it. You guys know if you have a, a kid that whenever they were young, maybe like a year and a half or two, they would get close to something that could hurt them. And what did you do? No, 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 no. I'll give the old hot stove analogy. You know what I'm saying? It's a hot stove, and they're like, they're like, no, 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 it's going to burn you. And they're like, no, no, it's going to. Well, they're not burned yet. They're being tempted to, you're right, but you're like, no, because you love them. But eventually, guess what they got to do? They got to burn that finger, man. They got to feel it. And, and at times, that, that's, how, that's how I feel it. That's how I feel God is with us. He's like, no, no, because he loves us, no. But how many times do we eventually just like, and we burn the finger, right? And then all of a sudden, sin is birthed. Now, burning of the finger is not death, you know what I'm talking about? But it can lead to that, right? depending on what part of the spectrum we're on. And, and some people, they, they walk with God, and God is leading them and guiding them and, 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 and trying to help them, trying to lead them to life, and they disregard that leading. They disregard being spirit-led, and then that sin begins to grow in their life. And then all of a sudden, it gets very public. The big thing happens, and that's when everybody sees it. That's, not, that's just the thing that you see. Maybe it's in your own life. You, you've experienced that. that. That was just the big moment. There was a whole lot of compromising moments before that. There was an entertaining of the temptation that eventually led to the big moment. And it might not be death, it, you know, not physical death. I'm talking about spiritual death. It might not, but it, but it can lead to that eventually. So what is, uh, what's taking root in your life? What's taking root in your life right now? What, what sin, what temptation is swirling around, and sin is beginning to settle in and take root in your life. There's a quote by a, name, a man named Ravi Zacharias, and he says this, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Now, how many of you in this room right now know who Ravi Zacharias is? So some of you don't, and if you know who he is, and you probably know where I'm headed with this, this is a, and he was an incredible teacher, an incredible theologian. He died just a few years ago. A man that, I mean, I think most Christians, especially if you're into apologetics or whatever, read books and listened to his debates and, and really, you know, learned a lot from him. Whenever he died, uh, there began to be some rumors about some things that he was involved in. And come to find out those rumors were true, that he was involved in some sexual sin and to a, a, uh, an abusive level where he was abusing people. And he used his, his stature, he used his power, if you will, in order to kind of manipulate people into certain situations. And, and it's, it's, it's crazy that a man like this could say a statement like this that we have quoted for how, how many years? You know, it's just one of those statements that you just remember. But he himself was in this place. Now, I don't actually, honestly, I don't picture a lot of times men like this who have fallen into this being um, prideful in their sin. I picture a man like this saying a statement like this because he was actually in it himself and was stuck. There was a temptation, a trap that was set that he fell for over and over, and it continually got worse and worse and worse until he was so steeped in it he was trapped himself, and then what do you do? What do you do? 
How do you, as a theologian and a big man, how do you repent? What does that look like? How do you come clean? Well, for many people, and maybe you find yourself like this in a, in a smaller degree, maybe it's lie upon lie upon lie. Come on. You know, you say one lie, you got to say another lie to cover it up, another lie to cover it up. Come on, it happens in marriages all the time. And, and then all of a sudden, you're trapped in this web of lie, and, and you, you're stuck. That's what sin does. That's the picture of temptation. It, it's, it's, uh, it's got you gripped. And so whenever I read a statement like this, knowing who this man was, and, and you know, for me, him falling doesn't necessarily uh, attack my faith. Come on. Don't ever glorify someone in your life, y'all. Don't ever lift up a man to a, a deified level in your heart. You can honor and respect and love people, but also at the same time realize that you're, you, right now you're listening to a human being, okay? I am not perfect by any means. He is not perfect. Don't, don't deify anybody else, right? But at the same time, uh, it, I, I, this, this is a, a warning to me in my life. Hey, what parts in my life, where is there a root of sin? Where is there a temptation? That it's, maybe it's not bad right now, but what could it lead to? Am I aware of that? Am I living life with, with an awareness of those things that I'm involved in saying, okay, it's okay, like things are good, but, but if, if that goes a step further or if that, goes, if that gets to this level or if I allow this opportunity, I could be falling for that trap. Again, if the shoe fits, wear it. Okay, what temptations are you dealing with in your life? What opportunities are you giving to the enemy? And um, for some of us today, we are in a spot where we've given in to sin. We are stuck. And what happens with sin is that once you commit sin or you find yourself kind of steeped in, in a sinful lifestyle, you, you feel trapped. There is shame that's attached with that because that's how the enemy works. See, God convicts us about sin, but there's a hope attached to conviction. The enemy condemns us in our sin, and there's shame attached to that. And you've got to be able to recognize those two things in your life. Am I, am I being shamed right now, or am I, am I being convicted, and there's hope attached? And, and if you're being convicted, then you can actually get out of that place through repentance, okay, through confession, uh, going to someone that you're close to, confessing your faults and being healed by that, or you remain in that sin and in that shame. But God wants deliverance for us in these areas. So we know that, that people respond differently to trials and temptations, okay? But let's go here. What does God want us to do? How does God want us to respond to trials and temptations? We all know, even in our own lives, how we have in the past responded to trials and temptation. But what instruction does God give us through his word, through James here, about how we are to respond to these trials and temptations? So um, I want to say this. Our response to trials and temptations determines what that trial or that temptation produces in our life. A trial or a temptation can be very difficult, but at the same time, it does not have to have a result that leads to a destructive thing in your life, and especially a destructive result in your faith or in your trust in God. We have these things that, that come to us, but how we respond to them is what determines what happens uh, long term. 
But we learn here that God wants us to resist the devil and endure temptation. So what does he want us to do with temptation when it comes? Well, he wants us to resist it. The devil, in some cases, it may be a demonic attack on your life. Other times, it is just your desire, which we could kind of split hairs there maybe, but, you know, sin, sin is demonic, all right? It's, it's against God, and, uh, and we have a sinful nature, so, so we could in some way, shape, or form kind of say the devil, but, but I think sometimes, again, we glorify the devil in our lives rather than glorifying God. Sometimes it's just, man, it's just this is a sinful nature inside of us, but God says that he wants us to resist the devil and endure temptation. James 4 says this, same book, submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. As believers, as Christians, the devil does not have power over your life. Okay? He doesn't have jurisdiction of your soul. You know, if you go to, let's talk about police officers real quick. If you go to certain, you know, let's say there's a Biloxi police officer and you're in Gulfport. Did you know that, like, there's lines of authority where someone can, can do certain, th- a police officer can do certain things in certain areas because he d- maybe doesn't have jurisdiction, right? Like I, c- I could, I could uh, you know, run a certain business in one state, but I can't go to another state if I don't have the proper certification to run that business in another state. I don't have the permit or I don't have the license or whatever the case is. Like you have to realize that whenever you become a child of God, that you have changed kingdoms, and so where the enemy or the devil had jurisdiction and had power in your life, he no longer has that in your life anymore. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. And you begin to live out of that truth. But what happens, a lot of Christians don't understand that. And so they are not actually submitted to the authority of God. They're, not, they, they're like in the kingdom of God, but they're still giving, you know, they're still operating where they're responding to the enemy's uh, influence in their life, acting like he's still got all this power, and he doesn't. Jesus broke the back of, of, of the power that he has. Unfortunately, many people who don't know Jesus still live underneath that weight. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have trials and temptations. That's not my point. But my point is, is that those things don't have to lead to death. Because we have hope in Jesus, y'all. But how do we respond? 1 Corinthians 10 says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he would not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Endure it. He didn't say he's going to make a way of escape that makes it easy for you to get out of it. And wee! No, he's going to make a way of escape that you can endure the pressure. Right? Come on, y'all. This isn't really fun to talk about, is it? You know, it's like, ah. We're going to desire things that don't glorify God, but are we going to resist the devil, resist those desires, and submit to God uh, or not? And and the second thing that we learn about how God wants us to to respond is that this. says, God wants me to joyfully remain steadfast in trials. And I would say that this is probably the most difficult part because whenever we think of joy, we think of happy, kind of like blessed. We think of happy. How do you joyfully walk through some of the losses that we just talked about a few minutes ago? Well, I could tell you that I've had loss in my life that I did not smile through. Nope. I had losses where 
I yelled into pillows, you know what I'm saying? So nobody could hear me. I, I had losses where I'm in my car by myself and, you know, you hit the steering wheel. You, 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 you know what I'm saying? It just depends on your personality. Some of you turn to anger. Some of you turn to sadness and get really quiet. I, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive when I'm, you know, in a, in a, in a really tough time. Some of you ask a lot of questions. Whatever, whatever that response is, that's kind of ten, that tends, we all have a tendency, but we walk through difficulty, and what does it look like to joyfully respond to trials? There's this thing called the fruit of the Spirit, and it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, self-control, and it's the fruit of the Spirit of God, and it's not a work of the flesh. And so there are some things that we tap into as, belie- as people that we can, we can only tap into those things if we are tapped into God. That response of, of joy or a peace that passes all understanding is not inside of me as Jordan is concerned. Yeah, that spirit just in and of myself, by myself, there isn't a joy or a peace that naturally comes out of me. But there is a supernatural joy or a peace or a settling or a hope or a grace that comes upon the believer that, that allows us to withstand whatever it is that's in front of us. It's different. And for some of you, what I'm talking about is very foreign. You're like... I, I, don't, I don't, some of you, the only way that you made it through the trials is just, you had a, just a fifth next to you all the time, and that's what you did. You drank away those feelings, you know what I'm saying? Well, I don't know, whatever that is for you. Some of you, that's, that's how you made it through those trials, but you didn't really, like, make it through those trials. You just sort of, like, just, you know, white-knuckled it. Whereas Christians, we don't, we don't reach for that in order to numb that. We reach for, come on, the, the well that doesn't run dry. And if, if you're a believer and you've faced hard things in your life and you've reached for the property, you know what I'm talking about right now. It's, it's a different source. Did you know that there's even traps, laid, temptations laid in trials? You're going through something tough and in the midst of that trial are little smaller trials and temptations that even seek to pull you deeper into whatever it is that that is, you know, down that track. I mean, we go through grief. Did you know that there's traps in grief? We go, some, some of y'all, the trial that you're in is that you're experiencing a lot of success in life actually right now. Like all the things that you've worked so hard for, you're actually experiencing the good results of those things, and now you have traps laid in that that seem so good. They're opportunities, but they're actually, they're, 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 it's like death wrapped in something that's attractive, and it's something that can actually lead you further away from who God is. Y'all, the things that we're talking about are multifaceted. And there's not a one-size-fits-all. So I'm just kind of like shotgunning a lot of this. And, but I know, I know the way that the Holy Spirit works. He takes these things and he kind of like fashions it exactly for our situation. And says that, this right here, this is where you've been. And then we respond to that. We have to respond to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. He wants us to joyfully remain steadfast in trials, to be grounded in him. Count it all joy when you meet various trials. 
Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Now, I want to say this, and we're getting close to the end. We always want the preferable outcome of a trial. We want the preferable outcome. But what if the trial really isn't about the outcome but the way that you walk through it? Sometimes the greatest testimony of a trial isn't the result of it, that it worked out, but it's how you endured it. I was talking to somebody last week. You name it, they've been through it. From, chi- from like childhood on to adulthood. They're like almost 60 years old. Every abuse you could think of, every broken relationship you could think of, it was like a, a horror movie. You know what I'm saying? And I'm talking to them. And they're still in the middle of a lot of things. And, and as we're studying this week, I could only think about this person. I'm like, they haven't actually got out of, technically, any of these trials. They're remaining in them. And it's almost gotten worse as life has gone on. It's been so difficult. And, and it's like, I was, I was telling them, I said, man, listen, God is still with you. But you also have to realize that God is, is doing something in you and through you that can be a help to so many people. I mean, you talk about Joseph in the Bible. He says, man, what the enemy meant for evil, God has used for good. God has a way of redeeming the worst things in life and bringing hope to us, but also bringing hope to other people. It's the beauty of what God does, y'all. For some of you, maybe it's, you know, you're praying for that certain outcome, but maybe you need to begin to pray, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing? What are you producing in me? in this temptation or in this trial because he's, he's always working. He's doing something in us. Every difficult circumstance that enters a believer's life can either strengthen him if he obeys God and remains confident in his care or become an opportunity for evil if the believer chooses instead to doubt God and disobey his word. We're at a fork in the road every time we hit a temptation or every time that we hit a trial. But as we remain steadfast, this is what I want to encourage you with, as you remain steadfast in those situations, Christ's likeness is produced in you. So be encouraged today to remain steadfast. If you feel like you're on the edge of your energy level, man, like you've been in this grind for so long and you're like, I'm, I'm, out, of, I'm out of gas. I talked to somebody yesterday who literally said, it's been five years and there's been no movement in this and I'm done. I can't, my emotions can't process this anymore. It's, this, it's not ending. It's not stopping. And it's like, it's just supposed to be a season. You ever hear that? It's just a season. Well, what happens whenever that season that you thought was going to be six months is six years? It's like, good Lord. <laughs> you know? Can we just be real for a second here, guys? It's like, <laughs> that's how it is sometimes. But we're promised eternal life if we remain steadfast. I want to encourage you, if, if you're in a spot, you're, you're, uh, you're tired and you're beginning to doubt God, I'm going to pray for you here in a moment. Because that's what happens sometimes is we begin to question God. We begin to question his nature, his goodness, his faithfulness because of the things that we encounter whenever it, it, it's, we weren't promised all of these things to always be working out. And I know that this is one of those messages that doesn't have like a really cool bow on the end of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't have, like, a big resolution where you're like, man, I was so encouraged at the end of that message today. But it's one of those things where it's like, okay, it's kind of like a coach talking to the team before the team actually goes and plays the game. 
You know, like we're in the middle of the game. And for some of you, it's like this is halftime, you know, and, and like you're bleeding a little bit. And you just need somebody to say, yeah, it's hard. It's right. Now let's drink some Gatorade. You know what I'm saying? Let's take a deep breath. Let's stretch it out. But we got to go finish, man. And for some of you, it's like don't quit right now. Don't stop right now. You think, man, just throw your hands up in the air. It will be easier. It won't. Keep moving, keep pressing in, keep trusting God. Remember his goodness, remember his faithfulness. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you about who God is. I'm telling you, because he's a liar, right? Let me pray for you right now. God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your encouragement to us. God, I thank you that Jesus, as he faced the cross, he faced the trial of being separated from you God, of you turning your back on him, God, that he endured the cross on our behalf. And, God, I'm praying that we would draw from the, the, the life of Christ, that we would draw that, God, just because we are facing temptations or trials does not mean that you have turned your back on us. God, it means that you are doing something in and eventually through us. And so, God, we submit our hearts and our lives to that process. God, I'm praying for every person in this room right now. God, those who are going through intense trials, God, through loss, through, through pain. Father, it's been years and there's still just a residual pain there. God, I'm praying that you would pour out your grace on them right now, that you would pour out your mercy on them right now right now. God, that you would help those who are in maybe some of those temporary trials and they feel lost right now. They feel like they don't know what the next step is. God, I'm praying that you would give them clarity. God, that you would give them wisdom in their life. As they read the word of God, as they engage in conversations with other believers, as they pray, Lord, begin to lead them in the way that only you can. God, you said that your word is a, a light to our path. It's a lamp to our feet. Lord, that, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a spotlight that we can see way out in front. Sometimes, God, it's just, it's just one step. So, so, God, would you give us that, that one step? For those who have been dealing with grief, God, I pray that even this week, God, that you would give them that one step of relief, that one step of grace, that one step of hope where they can continue to bear the weight of, of what they're, they're facing in their life. Bless everyone here who's persevering in trials, God. God, we know that we're looking forward to eternal life, but God, we do pray for moments in this life right here and now of relief. I just feel like that's a word right now for some of you. It's what you've been praying for is relief. God, would you just relief, relieve some things in my life? God, I'm praying that you would do that, that you would hear their prayer. If it's emotional relief, if it's financial relief, God, you have the ability, you know exactly what we're going through today, God. For others, you're, you're enduring temptation. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's just a, something that, that is in front of you right now. You're being tempted to do something that you know is immoral. It's against who God is, but it's a, it's a great temptation. And, and now you realize, man, that's a trap. God, right now I pray that you give every person wisdom in what is a trap of the enemy. Some things that are disguised as opportunities, God, we pray that you would reveal what they really are. If they are a trap, if it's a temptation that's actually meant for our destruction, God, would you pull back the wool? God, pull back the curtain. Let us see exactly what's going on. Give us wisdom.
speak to us. And God, we will respond properly. As we resist the devil and we submit to you. The last people I want to pray for right now is if you're in this room right now, you know that you're far from God. You don't know him. You're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. It's you're outside of that promise that we talked about. You're outside of those things. Those are, those are promises that are reserved for those who believe in Jesus and have submitted them, their lives to God. And maybe that's you right now. Just say, God, I submit my heart to you. I submit my life to you, surrendering all that I am. God, would you forgive me of my sin? Forgive me of the things that I've done where I've trespassed your goodness and your grace. Forgive me. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the cross, and I thank you for the forgiveness that I have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.